Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Seven different guns bought from five different gun shops. The lead starts right now. We're getting the first look at the moments when police entered a Nashville school where three nine-year-olds and three adults were gunned down. This, as we learn, the parents of the shooter did not want their child to own the weapons at all. Then. We're not going to fix it. Criminals are going to be criminals. Let's not get into politics. All right, let's not get into emotion. Here we go again. What will it take for lawmakers to address the number one killer of American children? Plus, unprecedented developments in the Trump investigation. Executive privilege cannot shield former Vice President Mike Pence. He has been ordered to testify before the federal grand jury focused on January 6th. Welcome to Lead. I'm Phil Mattingly in for Jake Tapper. And we start today with our national lead and a slew of new information from police about the tragic school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. Police Chief John Drake says the shooter, Audrey Hale, purchased at least seven guns legally and locally, three of which were used in yesterday's attack. Drake said investigators talked to the shooter's parents who claimed they didn't know Hale owned a gun, despite Hale living in their home. Parents also told police the shooter was under a doctor's care for an emotional disorder. Now, earlier today, Nashville police released body camera videos from the scene. They are gripping, showing what officers encountered when they entered the school. We want to warn you that some of what you're about to see is disturbing. Let's go. I need three. One more. One more. Let's go. Next, let's go. You can see the cubbies filled with the backpacks, the coats, and the hallways as the police race to find the shooter. And today we're also learning more about the three students and three adults who were killed. Evelyn Dickhouse, Ellie Scruggs, William Kinney, Cynthia Peake, Catherine Kuntz, and Mike Hill. And then there's this photo giving us just a glimpse into the trauma these young survivors will have to live with. It's a young girl right there crying on a bus, being taken away from a horrific scene. CNN's Amara Walker starts off our coverage from Nashville, where a memorial outside the school is growing by the hour. Body cameras reveal police running toward the sound of gunfire without hesitation. About three and a half minutes elapse between the time they go in and when they confront the shooter. Metro Nashville police said these two officers opened fire, killing the shooter at 1027 a.m., about 14 minutes after the initial call for help. I was really impressed that with all that was going on, the danger that somebody took control and said, let's go, let's go, let's go. Police still have not isolated what motivated Audrey Hale, a former student. 
The students that were targeted were randomly targeted. There was not any particular uh, student uh, that they were, uh, that she was looking for at the time of the incident. But police did reveal Hale legally bought seven different weapons from five stores and was being treated for mental health issues. She was under care, doctor's care, for an emotional disorder. Uh, law enforcement knew nothing about the treatment she was receiving, but her parents felt that she uh, should not own weapons. They were under the impression that was when she sold the one weapon that she did not own anymore. As it turned out, she had been hiding uh, several weapons uh, within the house. During the attack, Hale was armed with an AR-15, a 9mm pistol caliber carbine, and a 9mm handgun. Had it been reported that she was suicidal or that she was going to kill someone and had been made known to us, then we would have tried to, uh, to get those weapons. But as it stands, we had absolutely uh, no idea uh, actually who this person was, if she even existed. Minutes before the rampage, a friend and former teammate of Hale says she got a message from the shooter that Hale wanted to die. One day, this will make more sense. I've left behind more than enough evidence behind, but something bad is about to happen. So at 9.57, uh, I received a message from her. Um, and at 10.08, I sent the screenshot to my dad and uh, he instructed me to call the suicide prevention helpline. There you go. A memorial growing outside Covenant Presbyterian. I just feel so for them. I'm 101 year old, <laughs> and I, I've done a lot of things, and but this really hurts. And I just, I just hope they all, they're all with God. And we did get some new information from Metro Nashville Police regarding those writings found in Audrey Hale's car and also on the shooter's body after the shooter was shot and killed by Nashville Police Monday. These writings, according to authorities, mention multiple other locations as potential targets, but uh, it looked like there was too much security for the shooter and hence uh, this school, the Covenant Private School, was chosen as a target. Also in those writings, uh, it detailed just uh, how these mass murders would play out. Right now, we are told re uh, police are still reviewing these writings. So far, they have not seen anything that indicates a specific motive, Phil. All right, Amber Walker, Forrest in Nashville, thanks so much. And I want to bring in Angie Emily Henderson. She's a Nashville Metropolitan Council member, and I think I just want to start with how is your community doing? How are your friends, how are your family, how are your neighbors doing in this moment? Folks are very, very sad. Um, I think Nashville has endured a lot over recent years, a major tornado, a downtown bombing, and uh, to see this visited on our community, uh, it, it, it feels especially, especially heavy. Uh, you posted last night, uh, quote, today is my son's birthday. Today I listened as Nashville Police planned how to tell parents their children today. Today I heard a mother wail when she was told. How has this affected you? You know, I, we were talking before the show. My wife's from Nashville. This has hit her very hard personally. We've got four kids. I think we all see these all the time and think, man, that's terrible. When you have a personal connection to it, uh, you can't even fathom. And then you put that on a parent of one of these children, and it's, uh, there are no words. Uh, but for you personally, as a leader in the community, also as a mother, uh, how is this moment for you? 
I think it is especially, uh, especially tragic, especially harrowing to, to watch the footage of uh, our police department uh, so ably and capably going into that building, knowing uh, the fear that those children and those teachers had. Um, and uh, yesterday, uh, being at the location uh, where families were being uh, reunited, uh, but but some some were not, and uh, it, it it has been very uh, very saddening. But I am very proud of this community and how everyone is coming together to support these families. Yeah, you also posted, "Let us vote like our kids' lives depend on it." Um, Look, this is a complex issue. I'm not telling you something you don't know. What exact actions would you want to see, both in your state, your members of Congress, in the wake of something like this that you feel like would have an effect? I think we need to effectuate some policy change. Uh, we, We have to elect people who care about addressing this issue and who will commit to addressing this issue. No person needs an assault rifle the end, full stop. Uh, No one is trying to abridge anybody's ability to have a hunting rifle, a handgun to protect themselves. But Tennessee is one of the most permissive states. Uh, There's legislation in progress now to lower the edge, or age rather, to acquire guns um, uh, without permits and so forth. So um, it is uh, ridiculously easy um, to acquire a gun in, in Tennessee. And um, I think left, right, center, all my constituents want to see some level of common sense reform and just action. Uh, I think our legislators, uh, especially those to the right, um, our congressmen, is, is, you know, they, they are normalizing uh, uh, violence uh, by depicting themselves in their Christmas cards with assault rifles. Um, it's just, it's, it's wrong. Um, and uh, I, I am very saddened to see the fact that they would just double down on that type messaging on a day um, uh, or a week like we are having in this community. Um, when is it enough? Angie and Marie Henderson, thank you so much for your time. More than anything else, condolences to the city of Nashville, to your community. We really appreciate your time. And here to discuss is Jennifer Messia. She's a senior writer, a senior news writer with for The Trace, a newsroom dedicated to covering gun violence. It's incredible work. And Jennifer, look, there. This is a complex system uh, nationally on the state level, kind of across the board. Uh, hoping you can help people understand. Uh, this is your expertise. You know, the police were saying today the shooter bought seven guns legally and locally from five different stores. Is there a system that would recognize someone is buying multiple weapons and flag it to stores or authorities as problematic, or is this just something that can be done anywhere? Multiple handgun purchases are flagged to the ATF, but it sounds like the shooter acquired these in separate purchases, and that would not raise red flags. Also, I think most Americans would be surprised to know that being under the tr- uh, care of a doctor for an emotional disorder is not enough to ban somebody from owning guns, and certainly not in Tennessee. A red flag law might have been good here if the family knew that the shooter was hoarding guns, like we saw with the Buffalo shooter. He had guns his family didn't know about. Red flag laws really do rely on somebody sounding an alarm. And in this family's mind, there was no alarm to sound because they did not think that their um, child had guns. Yeah, so that's uh, that's one of the gaps with those laws. You know, I've been, I've been stuck on that all day because when you find out that there were issues that were being uh, dealt with from a mental health perspective, 
but they didn't know they had guns. It seems like there was nothing that could have been done. What do you do to prevent this? Are there proposals you're aware of? Are there policies you're aware of uh, that would have seen what was happening here and been able to get in front of it to some degree? Red flag laws would have uh, provided some kind of a mechanism for police to disarm somebody. And that is something that only 19 states have. Other countries don't have this problem because what they do is they vet firearm buyers at the source. And it's an interview process. It's not unlike a job interview. And they also check in with gun owners. Our mental health is not the same. None of us over the course of our lives. There are times when we're in crisis and being around a firearm might not be temporarily a good idea. Um, There's a lot more oversight, government oversight of gun ownership in other countries that enjoy robust gun cultures. That's a shift here that as we see lawmakers, particularly GOP lawmakers, particularly in Tennessee, are simply not willing to entertain. You know, they they paint this as um, an issue about freedom, like uh, GOP rep uh, Tim Burchett earlier said, you know, this is about freedom. Well, ask any parent in America tonight, does this seem like freedom to you? You know, one thing that struck me that I saw earlier today from you, you noted that more and more mass shooters in recent years don't fit the profile. We've only got about 30 seconds left, but what did you mean by that? Because I, mm-hmm. I think that's striking and also true. Well, there were several mass shootings recently, the Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay shootings, where it was not you know, the typical disaffected young or middle-aged white male. These were older Asian men. And what that shows to me is that over the past several decades, gun ownership and gun culture has diversified right along with America's demographics. Actually, the racial breakdown of mass shooters parallels the racial breakdown in American society. So what that means is the scourge of American gun violence is now more of an equal opportunity scourge, which really is uh, is heartbreaking. Yeah, heartbreaking and uh, terrifying all at the same time. Jennifer Messia, you do amazing work. Thanks so much for taking the time. And coming up, we'll talk to a Republican congressman who has been vocally opposed to banning AR-15s, talk about what his plan is to keep America's children safe. Then, he served 23 years for murder and became the subject of the hit podcast, Serial. Last year, his conviction was overturned. So why was it reinstated today? As a nation, we owe these families more than our prayers. We owe them action. You know, we have to do more to stop this gun violence of ripping communities apart, ripping apart the soul of this nation. So I again call on Congress to pass the assault weapons ban. President Biden once again repeating his call for an assault weapons ban after three nine-year-olds and three adults were gunned down at a private Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. Three firearms were found on the scene, including an AR-15. But as CNN's Manu Raju reports, Republican lawmakers say gun control legislation, that's a non-starter on Capitol Hill. It's an all-too-familiar story, tearing apart communities and devastating families. Mass shootings, 130 in this year alone, including the rampage at a Christian school in Nashville, leaving six victims dead, including three nine-year-olds. But on Capitol Hill, little has changed. So why not limit the to AR-15s? Why not why not put a ban on that? If you're going to talk about the AR-15, you're talking politics now. Let's not get into politics. All right, let's not get into emotion because emotion feels good, but emotion doesn't solve problems. Sounds like they got a little jet active shooter at a school. An AR-15 was one of the weapons possessed by the killer during Monday's massacre. and has been frequently used in mass shootings following the 2004 expiration of the assault weapons ban. 
but President Biden lacks the support from Republicans, who control the House and can block legislation in the Senate. They argue such a ban is ineffective and infringes on constitutional rights. Why not take action to ban AR-15s in the aftermath of all these terrible shootings? Because I believe in the Second Amendment, and uh, we shouldn't... uh you know, you shouldn't uh, penalize law-abiding uh, American citizens. The senator from Tennessee also declining to embrace further restrictions. What about banning those weapons that were used in attacks like these? I, I'm certain that, that politics will wave into everything, but right now I'm not focused on the politics of the situation. I'm focused on the families. Even Andy Ogles, whose district includes the Covenant School in Nashville, is a longtime supporter of access to high-powered weapons. Why not ban AR-15s? Why not talk about the real issue facing this country in regards to this shooting, which would be mental health? But Congress did take steps to address mental health when it passed the most ambitious gun law in a generation just last year. Now even GOP supporters of that law are skeptical of any more Hill action. At the end of the day, I I don't know if there's much space to do more, but I'll certainly look and see. But with mass shootings up sharply in the last few years, Democrats say that it's time to force a vote. We need a fight in Congress, and I'm prepared to conduct that fight. Others are as well. It's a fight Republicans are willing to have. Why are you opposed to reinstating this ban? Well, I mean, a lot of people use ARs and AKs for sporting purposes. I've fired both of those things, um, so both of those firearms for sporting purposes. So, But listen, let's stay focused on the issue at hand, which isn't some generic question about guns. It's what happened to these children in this school by this shooter. To Senate Republican John Thune about this issue, also given that there have been 130 mass shootings in just this year alone, whether any action is needed legislatively, he said it's, quote, premature. And also the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, for the last two days has not answered questions about this issue. I just tried to ask him about this again. He would not respond to any questions about whether action should be taken here. But McCarthy, would, along with the rest of his House Republican leadership team, voted against that bipartisan safety law that Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell supported just last year. Phil. Monterey on Capitol Hill, thanks so much. Now I want to bring in Congressman, Republican Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado. And Congressman, you have been very consistent in your opposition to gun control legislation. You've also been very consistent into what you believe should be the focus in, in the wake of tragedies like this, uh, primarily on the issue of, of mental health uh, and trying to address those issues. And I'm interested, given the fact that the shooter in this case uh, was seeing a doctor due to mental health issues, uh, was still able to purchase seven guns from five shops locally and carry out uh, this crime, this murder. What do you think should have been done in this situation? What could prevent something like this? Well, in in Colorado, uh, first of all, when when you talk about federal action uh, in Congress, you're talking about a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, We have a very diverse country. The needs for uh, areas of Los Angeles are much different than the needs for r- rural Colorado. So we, we have, a, we have uh, proposed and, and, and uh, state by state uh, limitations on, on gun rights. In Colorado, we have a red flag law and a mental health professional can notify law enforcement that somebody is dangerous. Um, a neighbor, uh, a relative can notify law enforcement that somebody is dangerous and law enforcement is mandated to, to move. That hasn't stopped gun violence in, in Colorado, um, and it won't. 
uh, the bottom line is we have mental health issues and we have to deal with those who, who need that, that help. The gun itself isn't creating the crime. The person behind the gun, and, and those people are identifiable. I've talked to, I brought school superintendents together and said, what is the solution? And they know who the dangerous uh, students are in their schools, and yet there are impediments for those school superintendents, for those school principals, to be able to take action to protect the students in those schools. But I think this kind of gets to my, my question, though, because I, was, I wasn't asking about the gun specifically here. This was an individual that had known mental health issues, was seeing a doctor for those mental health issues, and yet was able to get access to guns to use. And you're saying red flag laws in, in Colorado, you've opposed red flag laws uh, generally, particularly on a national scale in the past, wouldn't work. So it, those things don't necessarily net out. How, how, what's your answer here, then? Well, my answer is I, I don't know what the law is in Tennessee. If you're telling me there's no red flag law. There's no. Um, I don't oppose uh, red flag laws that give uh, defendants, in this case the gun owner, the right to appear in court and defend themselves. The problem with the, gun, uh, the red flag law in Colorado is there is no due process. The, the, the law enforcement officials are mandated to go take the guns, which is dangerous to law enforcement and, and dangerous to the individual. Go and take the guns from the person and then the person has the burden of proving their innocence. That's a problem. A, a properly uh, a defined red flag law I would be in favor of if it gave the uh, gun owner the right to defend themselves and present their argument in court. You know, the, the president has once again reiterated his call for a reinstatement of the assault weapons ban. Um, you know, back in 2020, uh, you went viral. You posted this video after a similar plea. Take a watch message for Joe Biden and Beto O'Rourke. If you want to take everyone's AR-15 in America, why don't you swing by my office in Washington, D.C. and start with this one. Come and take it. Look, I, I come from a place where uh, all of my friends have guns, many of them use ARs. I guess my question is, is do you concern as a, as a federal official, as a lawmaker, as somebody who legislates that Something like that maybe diminishes uh, the impact of what this moment is and kind of the conversations that's happening, uh, at least if you're trying to reach a resolution on issues. Well, if Joe Biden is interested in reaching a resolution on the issue, let him deal with the southern border. We have drugs coming across the southern border. And, and this crisis, this mental health crisis that we have in this country um, has a, a direct relationship to our drug laws being loosened um, and the, the lack of funding at the state level for mental health services. So let Joe Biden deal with some of the issues that are underlying the, the, the very serious, and, and I have to tell you my heart goes out every time we have one of these uh, shootings to, to the victims and their families uh, of these shootings. But it doesn't, um, it doesn't lessen the burden that Joe Biden has in finding solutions to these problems other than just blaming the gun all the time for the problem that, that he, in part, is causing by his policies on the border. So even if I stipulate everything you said related to the president, what's the burden on you as a lawmaker in the wake of these? You noted every time one of these happens, your heart goes out, you feel awful. The fact that they happen so many times that you have to say every time, that would seem to be a pretty significant problem nationally. So what's the burden on you as a federal official, as a lawmaker, to do something about this, regardless of what you think it is, but to do something? 
Right. No, I, I absolutely acknowledge that. And, and my burden is to make sure I follow the Constitution and the Second Amendment protects. There are more than two million AR-15s. As you said, you have some friends with AR-15s. They're not a danger to anybody. The idea that we're going to confiscate two million weapons in this country is, is pure folly. The idea that we're going to ban a particular kind of weapon as if some other weapon won't be used. I, I can remember 20 years ago, uh, the ban was on handguns. We've got we've to stop handguns from being used. And handguns kill far more people than a rifle like an AR-15. If you go to Chicago and you look at the murder rate in, in some very poor areas of Chicago, they're not using AR-15s, they're using handguns. So ultimately, we need to stop the violence by uh, making sure we take violent criminals off the streets and addressing the mental health issue that that we face. That's my burden. Can I ask you, I do, we only have a, little, a few minutes left, but I do want to ask you about TikTok. It has been in the news. You have obviously been uh, a leading voice on this issue. There's bipartisan agreement that TikTok is a national security threat. You personally had the Secretary of State acknowledge that it is a national security threat. You've uh, introduced legislation that would ban the app nationwide. But some TikTok users say you're focusing on the wrong issue, particularly in the wake of the last 24 hours. Take a listen. 20,138 deaths from firearms in 2022. And the best that Congress can do to keep us safe is to ban TikTok. I'm so glad that we have elected officials to protect us and our children. Now, I know these are two separate issues, but, but what's your response? TikTok users have certainly engaged recently trying to uh, get out in front of this. What's your response to that? It, was that a TikTok video, by the way? Yes, it was. See. Sorry, sir. Yes, it was. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's kind of interesting that, that TikTok would promote a video like that to try to distract people from the real issue. Um, China is accumulating data on Americans that are using TikTok. That data can be used in a cyber war. We are about to have a conflict with China over Taiwan, and uh, there may very well be cyber warfare between two countries. We don't want to give China the upper hand in that regard. I understand that TikTok is, is popular, and I understand that it, it is a much better technology than uh, Instagram or other technologies that we have available. We can't sell our technology. Facebook can't operate in China. Google can't operate in China. Yet these companies like TikTok can accumulate data to be used against Americans in the future. It's a policy that may not be very popular, but it's very necessary. And it's a, it's a bipartisan one as well. And Congressman, you've, you've been one of the leading voices on it, Democrats and Republicans, what the actual solution is. We're going to have to wait and see. But you have legislation on this. Uh, Congressman Ken Buck, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right, coming up next, a major court ruling today as a judge orders former Vice President Mike Pence to testify about his conversations with Donald Trump before the Capitol attack. Now, former president, well, he's reacting. A major development in the special counsel investigation into January 6th. A federal judge has ordered former Vice President Mike Pence to testify about conversations he had with former President Donald Trump in the lead up to the insurrection. CNN's Evan Perez is here. And Evan, explain to me, there's a lot of nuance here, a lot of detail. You know all of it because you're an expert on all the things. What's actually happening here? Well, the, uh, both sides, both uh, Mike Pence and the Justice Department, I think, believe that they've won, which is one of the things that happens in these, in these rulings. The judge here has decided that Mike Pence must testify, but he did recognize that Mike Pence has the right uh, to, uh, to, to at least wall off some of his conversations with the former president under the speech or debate clause in the Constitution. Uh, Mike Pence says, I was president of the Senate during uh, January 6th, and so there are certain things I should not have to talk, to talk about. So the judge at least recognizes that that right exists on the part of the former, of the former vice president. 
However, he is going to have to show up. And so what the, qu the question is, when is that going to happen? When is he going to be brought before the grand jury? Here's Mike Pence talking a little bit about uh, how he believes this, uh, this role uh, stands constitutionally. I will fight the subpoena from Biden's DOJ, and I will stand firmly on the Constitution of the United States of America. As you can see, the former vice president is trying to try to have it both ways, right? Uh, he wants to show that he's standing up and fighting. However, it is clear that he is going to have to answer some of these questions, Phil. Uh, the question is, uh, you know, when is that going to happen? Is he going to appeal? Is the former president going to appeal? Because he was also claiming that some of these questions should be off limits because of the executive privilege question. Uh, we did get a, a statement from the former president's spokesman who said, uh, accused the Justice Department of being weaponized, and he said uh, there is no factual or legal basis or substance to any case against uh, President Trump. Of course, this is part of the, the special counsel's investigation, Phil, and we know it is definitely accelerating. You know, you listen to Pence sound. almost seems like he might run for president. It almost seems that way. States, Evan Perez, somehow keeping yeah. us in the loop on all these details. Thanks so much. CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig joins me now. And Ellie, look, the, the judge did offer the former vice president some protections about what he has to share about what happened on January 6th when he was operating, as Evan noted, as the president of the Senate. But he did have to testify about his conversations with former President Trump. In, uh, or, but does he have to testify about those conversations leading up to the attack? What do you make of this actual decision here? Well, Phil, on balance, this is a real win for prosecutors, for the special counsel, because now they will get to question the former vice president, Mike Pence, under oath about virtually everything that they'll need to ask him about. Now, they cannot ask him about what he did on January 6th itself because he was acting as vice president, as Senate president. So that's walled off under, as Evan described, the speech and debate clause. But they're going to get to question him under oath about everything leading up to January 6th, including key meetings that he had one-on-one -on -one with Donald Trump in the days leading up to January 6th, where they discussed this plot, where I would want to ask Mike Pence, what did Donald Trump tell you? What did he ask you to do? Those are crucial conversations. Now, Pence and or Trump can appeal this to the Court of Appeals. I don't think they're likely to get a different outcome. I think this is likely to stick as the result, and it's a win for prosecutors. You know, Evan laid out, and you noted on some of them, that there's a series of questions we still need answers to in terms of timing, what the actual process would be going forward. One of the questions I had is, is can the former vice president still plead the fifth to avoid answering questions that aren't walled off here? So legally and constitutionally, absolutely yes. Mike Pence, like any person, can claim the fifth, and that would prevent him from having to testify. However, first of all, he would need some basis on which to argue that his testimony might incriminate him. And second of all, I'm not sure he's willing to take on the political damage that would come with taking the fifth. Also, Phil, if Mike Pence or any witness takes the fifth, then prosecutors can actually use a counter move to overcome that. They can immunize him. Essentially, they would say, OK, Mike Pence or anyone else, you take the fifth. We're going to agree that we're not going to use your testimony against you. And now you have to testify. And that is not optional. That is not voluntary. So we could see a little back and forth here. Totally. I do want to turn to the Manhattan grand jury investigation into the former president's alleged role in the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels before the 2016 election. Yesterday, the grand jury heard testimony from David Pecker, the former head of the company that publishes the National Enquirer. Now, Pecker has already testified before the grand jury. Why do you think prosecutors wanted to bring him back? 
So the key to understanding this is understanding, as you just said, this is David Pecker's second time in the grand jury. He was part of the prosecution's original presentation. And then what happened after that is the defense, Donald Trump's team, had this lawyer, Bob Costello, go in and he told us afterwards that what he did was basically attack Michael Cohen's credibility. And so I think it stands to reason David Pecker was called to rebut that and to try to rehabilitate Michael Cohen's credibility, either specifically as to points in issue or generally. Need a wall-sized map to keep track of all this stuff somehow. Ellie Honig does it. Thanks so much, Ellie. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. All right, there's also the classified documents investigation involving Trump. That's another one. Tonight, a former Trump attorney and a former Manhattan prosecutor will debate Trump's new defense in that case. Watch CNN primetime inside the Trump investigations with the one and only Pamela Brown. Tonight, 9 Eastern. Next, today's stunning court decision to reinstate the murder conviction. The man made famous by a podcast. A shocking twist in the case of Adnan Sayed, the subject of that hit podcast, Serial. An appeals court has just reinstated his murder conviction, despite a lower court judge vacating his conviction in September. CNN's Bryn Gingrass joins us now. And Bryn, why did the court reinstate his conviction? Yeah, so Phil, back up to September when that lower court overturned his vaca- he vacated the conviction. Uh, essentially, the uh, appellate court judges saying that the victim's family in this, who was Syed's ex-girlfriend, uh, her brother didn't have a chance to actually be present at that hearing uh, before that decision was made by the lower courts. He was notified about that hearing just a few days prior. He had to attend by Zoom because he lives in California, and that wasn't fair to him. So essentially, they're saying there needs to be a redo of that hearing. I want to read you from, uh, read from the opinion. It said, because the circuit court violated Mr. Lee's right to notice of and his right to attend the hearing on the state's motion to vacate, this court has the power and obligation to remedy those violations as long as we can do so without violating Mr. Syed's right to be free from double jeopardy. And the appellate judge is going further explaining how this isn't double jeopardy because it's not a second prosecution of Syed. In fact, when this hearing does happen again, they could come to the same conclusion that they vacate uh, his sentence, his conviction rather, or it's possible he could go back behind bars. But the uh, judge is basically giving 60 days notice for both sides to kind of discuss this, figure out what the next steps are. It's unclear what's going to happen with Syed at the very moment. Uh, but the family of this victim, very happy with this court's decision. Quite a turn of events. Benjamin Gass, Jim yeah. Grass, thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Back to our top story. President Biden is again calling on Congress to ban assault weapons after that school shooting in Nashville. Wolf Blitzer is here. And Wolf, you're going to be focusing on this in the Situation Room. Uh, What exactly are you going to be looking at here? We're looking at all the details of what's going on right now because there's so much pressure right now. There's so many Americans who want to see what's called common sense uh, gun control here in the United States. It's clearly not happening. Uh, And there are clearly major differences in the House of Representatives where there's a Republican majority right now. And in the Senate right now, in order to get some new legislation, as you know, Phil passed in the Senate, they need to break a filibuster. There will almost certainly be a filibuster. And that would require 60 votes. Uh, Schumer, the top Democrat, uh, doesn't believe they necessarily have 60 votes. So he's not even ready, at least right now, to put it up for a vote. A lot of other senators would like it at least to come up for a vote and embarrass those Republicans who will vote against, uh, as I said, what's called this common sense gun, uh, gun reform in the United States, some gun changes to prevent these kinds of massacres, especially at, at uh, elementary schools, what's been going on in our country. 
Uh, and so there's a debate going on. It was interesting today, as you know, Phil, the president, President Biden, said he really can't do anything right now. He said, I can't do anything except plead with the Congress to act reasonably. So he's not going ahead with any additional executive authority or anything like that to try to change it. He's waiting for the House and the Senate to do what they uh, would have to do. And clearly that doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. Yeah, he may be waiting a long time. Wolf Blitzer, we'll see you at the top of the hour getting in all of those dynamics. Thanks so much. Then versus now, CNN uncovered old video of Joe Biden pushing a plan similar to what he chastises Republicans for now. We'll cue the tape. Coming up next. New reporting shows President Biden once supported and even introduced legislation in the 1970s and 80s that would have terminated funding for all federal programs without specifically exempting Social Security and Medicare. Now, remember, this is much the exact proposal Biden has been attacking Republicans for. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. But a lot of Republicans, their dream is to cut Social Security and Medicare. If that's the Republican dream, I'm their nightmare. Ag Republicans are threatened to gut and eliminate these programs. Let's bring in CNN's Andrew Kaczynski. And Andrew, what exactly did Biden support here? Yeah, that's right. So Biden has and the White House have been attacking Republicans uh, for positions on Social Security that he himself once had. Just take that sunset legislation that we just talked about. Sunset legislation basically means that uh, a bill has funding for a set number of years. And if it's not reauthorized, the funding goes away. Now, Biden uh, introduced a plan in 1975 that, like Rick Scott, sunset all federal legislation without exemptions for Social Security and Medicare. And what's interesting, which we found, was this was actually the first federal uh, sunset bill ever to be introduced. Uh, Another interesting thing here is that, like Rick Scott, who Biden was attacking, saying, well, you know, he said, never mind now, Uh, he doesn't want to uh, sunset Medicare and uh, Social Security. Biden actually introduced uh, in his own bill uh, exemptions later in later years that would exempt both of these programs. Now, Biden has also uh, been open to raising to the retirement age. In the 1980s specifically, he said several times he wanted to push the retirement age up to 68 or 70, uh, whatever aligned with uh, actuarial tables. And in 2005, he even said he was willing to discuss benefit cuts. Take a listen to this clip. Well, I want to see what the president offers. I want to see if it represents a solution. Raising the cap, raising the retirement age for people who are now 30 years old, raising uh, um, uh, the the tax on Social Security, cutting benefits. uh, They're all things that have to be discussed, quite frankly. We did reach out to the White House to ask them about these past positions. Uh, What they told us was that today, President Biden has publicly pledged to veto uh, any plan that cuts Social Security or Medicare benefits or raises taxes on Americans making less than $400,000 per year. Andrew Kaczynski, the risks of a five-decade public career (laughs) to some degree. Uh, Great work, as always, my friend. Thanks so much. And you can tweet the show at The Lead, CNN. If you ever miss an episode of the show, you can also listen to The Lead wherever you get your podcasts. And the best news of all, our coverage continues right now with the one, the only, Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness 
providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.